It's a, a, a small finger, a, a worm. Like a, a dagger. A tiny sword. I get a kick out of that commercial. <laughs> that would be frustrating, wouldn't it, to play Pictionary with a sloth? And uh, certainly sloths are um, slow creatures. They are um, kind of funny-looking creatures, and yet they, they don't seem to be particularly deadly creatures. Um, some of you might know we have been in this teaching series throughout the season of Lent looking at what are known as the seven deadly sins. Today we're coming to the sin known as sloth. And frankly, I was tempted to push this back to procrastinate for yet another week, but I felt convicted by the topic that I probably should uh, not be slothful and take it on uh, today. Uh, but I think many of us, when we think about this one of the seven deadly sins, the sin of sloth, I think a lot of us think to ourselves, come on, is it really that big of a deal? If I watch another episode of The Office, if I binge through my favorite TV show, if I sleep in for yet a few more hours, I mean, is that really a serious moral failure? You know, Harper's Magazine once ran an advertisement in which they said, if the original sin had been sloth, we would still be in paradise. <laughs> right? That would be great. We wouldn't have done anything. If we were all just a little bit lazier, maybe there would be less uh, violence and, and fewer problems within our world. Is sloth really that big of a deal? And even for those of us maybe who would recognize and who would admit, okay, I suppose that it would be a, a moral failure if I were to neglect all of my God-given responsibilities, even then maybe you would look and think sloth is not your particular struggle. Um, that's certainly the, the attitude that I had. Um, I, I feel like I'm a person, of course, there are times when I can be lazy and want to indulge uh, my own comfort, but generally on the whole, um, I'm somebody who, who feels this restless sense to, to need to be productive. I need to be working on something. In fact, I have to work at not working, at being able to um, rest when I'm taking a day off, to be with my family, to be present with them, not to be checking email, not to be thinking um, about church-related um, things. Maybe some of you are, are productive people in that way. And so you would look at sloth and you would say, that might be somebody else's struggle, but that's not mine. So that was my attitude, thinking about um, sloth coming into today. And yet in preparing uh, for this series, I mentioned, I read this great book by a lady named Rebecca DeYoung. Uh, it's called Glittering Vices. And in that book, in her chapter on sloth, um, she does this great job of helping to explain that really the definition of this deadly sin that we call sloth is not laziness. It's not a lack of work ethic. She said when the original um, theologians, early teachers in the church were putting together this list of the seven deadly sins, um, the, the word that they used, the Greek word nothroi, that they used for sloth, um, the same word, by the way, that shows up in Hebrews 5.11 and then again in Hebrews 6.11, is a word that conveys not being lazy about work, but it conveys this idea of being lazy about love a sort of apathy, 
a sort of spiritual indifference, a sluggishness in the way that we relate to God and the way that we relate to the callings that he has entrusted to us in our lives. Sloth is that insidious voice within our hearts that says, what's the use of trying? What's the point of really caring? What difference is it really going to make in the end? Is there really any meaning or purpose to what I'm doing or to my life? And it can lead us down that path where we say, therefore, because there's nothing really worth caring about or putting that much effort into, I might as well then just live for my own comfort. I might as well just live for my own happiness. I might as well just live for my own pleasure. And you can see perhaps how sloth then can actually be a gateway into some of the other sins that we've already talked about, sins like gluttony or lust or greed, because you say, if, gosh, if there's nothing that's so important that I really should live for, I might as well just sort of seek my pleasure in these other ways. And for a Christian, for a follower of Jesus, this deadly sin of sloth, this spiritual apathy and indifference, you can see how it could be so spiritually destructive, a little bit like a frog in a kettle. You know, it works slowly, it works subtly, but eventually, the more that your heart becomes apathetic, uh, indifferent towards God and towards the callings that God has given to you, the more that that happens, it begins uh, to eat away at your joy. It begins to eat away at your hope, your sense of purpose, your assurance, even at your very salvation itself, if that were possible. And friends, that's the dynamic that we see uh, being played out in Psalm 73 uh, that Lauren read for us a moment ago. Here is this person who wrote Psalm 73 who had a devoted, vibrant relationship with God. And then he says he gets to this point where he's almost tempted to throw it all away. He's tempted to quit on his faith. He's tempted to lose it all, to give it up. Friends, I wonder, have any of you ever been in that place before? Where you're feeling that sense of spiritual apathy and indifference, where you're prone to say, you know what, I'm tempted to stop following Jesus altogether. That's the place that this psalm writer is in. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Now, here's the thing. And those of you who are rock climbers, you know this. You don't talk about a foothold when you're walking on level ground. You don't talk about losing your foothold. You might say, I almost tripped or I almost stumbled. I almost lost my balance. You only talk about a foothold if you're climbing, right? If you're working against gravity and if you are a rock climber, you know how important it is to get a good foothold. And so here, if you want to use kind of a, a spiritual metaphor, here is somebody who is climbing, somebody who is ascending, somebody who was making progress in his spiritual life. He was getting closer and closer to God. He was maturing more into the person that God longed for him to be. He was making progress when all of the sudden, he says he nearly lost his foothold. He nearly gave it all up. He nearly quit on his faith in God. 
That's a dynamic maybe some of us have experienced and felt before. Now, who is this guy who wrote this psalm? The psalmist's name is Asaph. Anybody ever heard of Asaph before? You know, Asaph wrote 12 of the psalms in the book of Psalms. And, you know, we don't know a ton about Asaph, but we do know that God used Asaph to write the inspired words of God, to write scripture. I don't know how many of you are goal setters. You like to make New Year's resolutions, maybe spiritual goals. You think this year I'm gonna try to pray more. I might try to join a community group. I'm gonna go to church more often. That's great. I guarantee that none of you said, you know, this is the year I'm gonna write some scripture. I'm gonna write some divine inspired words of God. Just take it up a notch. You're probably not going to make that goal or resolution. That's a pretty high level of spiritual attainment, don't you think? And so even if you've never heard of this guy Asaph before, I guarantee you he's probably a little further along in that spiritual journey, probably a little bit more mature, closer to God in his walk with God than you and I are. And yet here's the thing. Asaph finds himself in this place where his heart is infected with sloth. In this state of of sloth, this this apathy and indifference towards God, and if Asaph was vulnerable to that, um, you and I absolutely are as well. And so I want to ask two questions together this morning as we think about this deadly sin of sloth. First, what are the symptoms of this sickness of sloth infecting our hearts? How can we tell? What are the signs? How do we know when we're becoming increasingly indifferent or apathetic towards God and his callings in our lives? What are the symptoms? And then secondly, secondly, how can we be healed from it? So let's just look at those two questions together. So first, what are the symptoms that this deadly sin of sloth is beginning to spread within our hearts? Here's the first, and it's a little bit counterintuitive because remember, the opposite of sloth is not work ethic. Sloth doesn't mean necessarily laziness. So the first symptom, actually, that sloth may be present within your heart is what you might call a restless over-busyness. A restless over-busyness. Now, there's a, there's a secular form to this, right? There are those who maybe are agnostic about what they believe about God, but they would feel somewhat apathetic. They, they would think, I don't really know if there's a God, but I don't really care if there is a God. And one of the strategies to not have to think about that is what? You stay busy. You keep the volume really high. You keep the pace of your life really fast. You, you, you make sure that your schedule is packed and full so that you never have those moments of silence, of stillness, to have to really ask some of life's biggest questions like, why am I here? Why do I exist? Is there a God? If there is, can I know him? Does he have a greater purpose for my life? Am I living within that purpose? One of the strategies to be able to stay in that place of apathy and indifference towards God is to keep your life really busy. So there's a restless busyness that shows up maybe in an agnostic form, but it also shows up among those who would say, yes, I believe in God. Those who would say, I'm not hostile to a relationship with God. You know, over the years, I've talked to so many people who have said to me, they say, yeah, I believe in God. And yes, I would love to have a closer relationship with God. I would love to to be the kind of of person who regularly comes to corporate worship. 
this time where we gather to, to praise God and to be shaped and formed by him together. I would love to be a part of a community group, you know, where I can meet with other Christians and we can open up God's word and apply it to our lives and pray for each other and encourage each other. Sure, I would love to have a daily time in my life where I seek to commune with God, reading scripture and prayer. I would do all of those things except what? I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I've got too much going on in my life. If I had a nickel for every time that someone has said that to me, I don't know that I would be rich. I would at least have a lot of nickels, but (laughs) that's a very common response. I'm too busy to really be pursuing that kind of close, intimate relationship with God and living out all of his callings that he has for me. And let's be fair. I don't want to be too harsh on this. There are seasons of life. Like when you have a new baby, or, or maybe when you are caring for a sick or elderly family member, or, or perhaps when you are working and you've got kind of a cyclical nature to your job, and there's just certain seasons where there's a lot of, of demand upon you. Without a doubt, there are times in life that may be exceptionally busy, and there certainly is, is grace for you in that. And yet the problem The problem is is the more life that you live and the more those responsibilities are added, you recognize those those seasons are not rare, right? They're pretty common. They're pretty frequent. You may find that there are more demands and there's constantly things that are competing for your attention, for your schedule. You could so easily fill up your whole schedule. And what I want to remind us of this morning is actually something we said in our sermon series about a year ago. If any of you were with us then, we did a series on the Lord's Prayer. And we looked at the life of Jesus, and you remember, here is is Jesus, the most extraordinary person who's ever lived. Somebody whose whose life is marked by this humility and wisdom, this compassion and courage. He's exactly the kind of person that I would want to be more like, and maybe some of you feel that way too. And yet you look at Jesus' life, somebody who was pretty busy, Right? I mean, he had three years to complete the salvation of the world in his public ministry. He had a lot to do. People were lining up constantly to see him and touch him and be near him. And yet Luke 5 says every morning Jesus would go to desolate places to pray. He knew that he needed to carve out that time for loving communion with his father in his dependence upon his father. Jesus knew he was too busy not to pray. Too busy not to be engaged in those spiritual disciplines. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that if you're somebody who says, yeah, I want that relationship with God, but I'm too busy to really be proactive about pursuing it, may I suggest to you that maybe it's not so much that you are a victim of this demanding schedule, but maybe your heart's priorities have gotten out of order. And in your desire to say, yeah, I want to advance in my career, or yeah, I want to provide for my family, or I want to have these experiences, or I love these hobbies and interests, those are all great things. But but if you're pursuing those in a way where you're not able to really pursue actively that relationship with the Lord, in that restless busyness, you may be dealing with some of that, that sloth, that real indifference to God. This has been very convicting for me to see in my own life and in looking at the sin, just to recognize the fact that in those times when, when, when I feel like I'm really busy, maybe I'm too busy to really spend time communing with God or too busy to really take a Sabbath where I can be fully present to my family and not working. 
when I find myself in those, those rhythms where I can't even make sure I'm getting enough sleep or taking care of my body, recognizing the limits of who God has, has made me to be as an embodied human being, maybe, maybe the reason why is, is, is not because of the demanding schedule. Maybe it has something to do with my heart and, and, and perhaps sloth has begun um, to make its way in. I think this can be a helpful diagnostic for us. Because if you just stay in that state of restless busyness, you'll find your heart starts drifting and, and veering away from God. And eventually you just won't care that it is. So the first symptom is a restless over busyness. The second symptom looks very different on the surface, but it's, a, it's, it's what you could call um, a form of cynicism. So again, there's, a, there's an atheist version of this, and, and, and I don't know if this is helpful or not, but if I were not a Christian, I think I would be a, a, an atheist cynic. And I say that because I think that it's a little bit more honest, right? Atheist cynics are a little bit more honest than, than over-busy um, atheists because they recognize, they say, look, all these things that everybody's after and that they're chasing as if they're so important, you know, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just get that, that, that dream job, or if I could just get that dream home or get that person to marry me or, or whatever else it might be, then everything would be great in my life. The atheist cynic says, no, it won't. Right? Recognize that there is no greater meaning, there is no greater purpose to your life. You're not going to discover that mysterious missing something. So really, you might as well just try to get whatever comfort and pleasure out of life that you can before you die. It's a little bleak, but it's a little bit more honest. And yet there's a Christian version of this cynicism too, isn't there? Maybe you become a Christian and you think to yourself, I'm going to start praying but you don't get a lot out of that prayer time. Or maybe God doesn't answer your prayers in the way that you would hope that he would. So you say, what's the point of praying? Or you start trying to read scripture, but it's confusing. You don't get a lot out of it. So you say, maybe that's for somebody else. Maybe you serve somebody else and they're not grateful or they don't respond in the ways that you had hoped that they would. Maybe you've got a certain flaw or, or, or issue or struggle in your life and you thought that you'd be able to break free from it, but you haven't yet. And so you think, what's really the point of, of trying? Maybe you join a community group and you think, those people, they're not very deep or they're not very relevant or I just can't really connect with them. I don't really need to be a part of that kind of Christian community. And you're not ready to abandon your faith. You're not gonna give up on your faith in Jesus. But what happens is you begin to moderate. You begin to lower your expectations. You begin to have a little bit more um, caution in your approach to following Jesus. The zeal is gone. And you think, I don't know that I really want to follow Jesus in a way that costs me anything, or that requires me to risk my time or my resources or my money, my resources that God has blessed me with in any way. And so you don't give up your faith, but there's a there's a certain apathy that begins to kick in over time. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great Welsh doctor who became a pastor. He was a great um, person at being able to diagnose the conditions of the soul. He said pretty much for every Christian and really for everybody engaged in any meaningful calling, marriage or education or a new job, he says there's always a middle period, isn't there? Right, when you start, it's very exciting. There's a lot of enthusiasm. There's new experiences, but eventually you get to the middle period, and that takes more work. It takes more endurance. It takes more effort. It takes a long obedience in the same direction. And he says it's in that middle period when a spiritual sloth can so easily set in. 
or we become cynical about what we can really experience in our relationship with God. So an over-busyness, a cynicism, but then here's the, the, the most frightening symptom of spiritual sloth in your heart. That's what we see in Asaph in Psalm 73. We'll turn back to Psalm 73 for the rest of the sermon. What we see with Asaph is the symptom of sloth, that you, be, you, you begin to, to cease to care about your obedience to God. Why obey? Does it really matter? What's the point of really living for him? Look at Asaph. This is verse 13. He says, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. What's he saying? He's saying, I've been trying to live for God, and now I'm realizing what's the point. Right? It was in vain that I kept my heart pure. It was in vain that I sought to live according to his ways. Why does Asaph feel that way? Well, verses 3 through 12, he's been comparing. He's been looking at the lives of the wicked, at the lives of those who don't care about God, who are not seeking to live for God. And what he sees is that their lives look pretty good. They look pretty prosperous. And he begins to sort of chafe as he looks at his life. He says, I've been living for God. I feel like I have a lousy life. And they're not even concerned the slightest bit with God or loving other people. They're just living for themselves. Their lives look amazing. And he chafes at that. Have any of you ever felt that way before? Maybe some of you feel that way today as you're walking through some difficult circumstance in your life, here's what I would suggest to you. I would suggest actually it's often the most devoted Christians. It's often the most committed followers of Jesus, those who have made sacrifices, those who have sought to really give of their time, to give of their resources, to give of themselves, to serve other people who have been consistent in reading God's word and engaging in spiritual practices. It's often those most devoted Christians who when something really hard comes into their life, some really painful or difficult circumstance are actually the most prone to fall into this sort of response and to say, what the heck, God? I've been doing all this for you. And even if you would intellectually affirm that it's all of God's grace in that moment, often that's when the temptation comes to say, what's the point of obeying? And if you find yourself in that place, and by the way, I've got, a, I've got a friend of mine right now who is counseling a pastor whose adult son recently died from COVID. And that's the place that he's in right now. He's thinking, God, I did all this service for you. Why would you let this happen? If that's the place that your heart is in, if that's the way that you are reasoning, friends, be very careful. Because like Asaph, you're in a place where your foot is close to slip where you might quickly give up all of your faith altogether. And the sin of sloth, I would say that's, that's a stage four sloth when you begin to reason in that kind of way. What's the point of obeying? So what do we do? When we find ourselves in that place where we sense that any of these symptoms are true in our lives and we feel like we're becoming more apathetic towards God and his callings, how do we respond? How can we be healed from that sin? Let me suggest uh, three steps, three steps that Asaph takes. These are three steps that I've taken uh, in my spiritual life before in times where I feel like I'm becoming more apathetic and indifferent toward God, and I hope they're steps that can be helpful to you too. Here they are. Step number one 
When you're feeling tempted to kind of quit on your faith and to quit on God, just think about how it would affect the other people that you care about. If you were to quit on the callings that God has given you in your life, think about how would that affect the people that I love? Look at what Asaph does here. Verse 13, he says, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. That's pretty bleak, right? And yet, what does he say in verse 15? He says, If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. In other words, these are the thoughts. These are the feelings that he's having. What's the point of obeying? There's no point in it. It's all in vain. But he says, I didn't say it, right? I didn't speak it. I didn't act on those feelings. If I had allowed those feelings to to motivate and to, 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 to issue forth in how I talked about God with other people, even worse, maybe if I'd allowed those feelings to, to actually drive my actions so that I stopped doing the callings that God had given to me. He says, I would have hurt so many other people. I would have betrayed your children. Um, anybody ever heard of the, the Thomas Jefferson fantasy? I, I, don't, I don't know if this is a thing, but I was, I was reading about Thomas Jefferson recently. Apparently, he had this, this fantasy when he was working in public office in Washington, D.C. He just longed to escape. He wanted to get away. He wanted to get away to a place where he would be just alone, him with his books. Nobody would have any demands. Nobody would want anything from him. It would just be him and his thoughts. He could do whatever he wanted to do. Do you ever have that desire for nobody to want anything from you? I feel that way sometimes. And yet, what Asaph does is he begins to think, okay, let's say that I did that. How would that hurt the people that I care about? You know, if you just gave up your callings in your life, how would that hurt your spouse or your kids or the people in your community group or your coworkers or your clients, the people that you interact with every day, people that you care about? And what that does for Asaph is even just to think about that, it puts the brakes on his slide, right? It slows down the, the progression of his slide. So start step number one. Think about if I were to abandon God, if I were to abandon my callings, how would that hurt the people that I love? So there's step one. Step number two is you've got to go into the sanctuary. Verse 17, Asaph says, until I went into the sanctuary and then I understood. Now, what does that mean to go into the sanctuary? Well, for him, literally it meant to go to the temple. That's the one place where God was most present on the face of the earth in the Old Testament. Now we know that Jesus is the temple And so therefore, as Christians who are united to Jesus, we can have access to God's presence anywhere and any time. And yet, God has given us specific means, we call them means of grace, through which we encounter and experience the presence of God. Things like corporate worship, when we gather for worship together, being in Christian community, prayer, reading God's word, to go into the sanctuary. Let me tell you this, friends. If you're in a place where you're apathetic and indifferent to God, the last thing that you want to do is pray. The last thing you want to do is read his word. The last thing you want to do is continue coming to worship, being in community. But can I tell you, that is the very best thing you can do. There is no way that you are going to break out of that place of apathy and indifference unless you continue in those spiritual practices. I met with somebody the other day. A guy reached out to me. He said, I'm struggling in my faith. Not a part of this church. I feel comfortable sharing this. He said, I'm struggling in my faith. 
And, and as I talked with him, what I, what I learned is he said, you know, it's not like I've got these big intellectual questions or doubts. I've dealt with that in the past before. He said, I'm just struggling to believe that any of it's true. I don't feel God's presence in my life right now. And I feel just this sense of hopelessness and despair. And you know, I, I, I made sure that, that he wasn't having suicidal thoughts. Uh, he, he wasn't in a state of depression. By the way, if you are, you should talk to somebody. You should absolutely go to a counselor. You should go um, seek help from a psychiatrist. There's medicine that can be helpful if you find yourself in that place. But, you know, one of the things that I shared with him is I, I asked him, I said, when was the last time that you went to corporate worship? He said it had actually been two years. Two years since he and his family had been to church. Sometimes they'd gotten and worshipped online. And, and by the way, we do have an online worship service. I think that's helpful if you're sick, if you're out of town. was helpful in the midst of COVID. Uh, maybe um, certain circumstances you want to just check out the church before you go to it. I understand that. Some people have done that here. But those the, uh, online worship and in-person worship, can I just say we do not believe those are equivalent? They're categorically different. There is a way in which God's spirit is present when his people are gathered together. There's a way that our faith feeds off of the faith of other people when we are gathered in worship together. He hadn't been in worship in two years. I asked him, do you have a daily way that you seek loving communion with Jesus? He didn't, didn't have a way that he would read scripture or, or pray. So we walked through, what does that look like to try to seek that loving communion with Jesus every day? If you want to break free from that apathy and indifference, you've got to go into the sanctuary. You've got to spend time in those spiritual practices. I can't tell you how many times I've opened up God's word feeling apathetic, indifferent, negative emotions. I'll read something in his word that convicts me, that stirs me, that awakens me out of my apathy and indifference towards him. I get perspective. I get understanding. That's what Asaph gets. He says, then I discern their end. Then I realize eternity is long. Life is short. God is the only sure foundation for the present and for the future. But he doesn't get that understanding until he goes into the sanctuary. So there's the second step. Here's the third step. And it's the most important step. Most important step, if you're feeling apathetic towards God, you need to ask the most important question. You need to ask yourself the most important question. What is that? Asaph says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire besides thee. The most important question. Why is that the most important question? Because it gets down to where can life be found? Where do I believe that, that satisfaction can really be found. Whom have I in heaven but you? You know, I, I think when, when really I made the most headway in that conversation with that guy that I mentioned, is we got to this place of, of a certain thought experiment. I said, okay, let's just imagine, let's imagine that everything is great in your life. And things were going pretty well for him. Everything's great with your family, your health, plenty of money. Everything is great in your life, but you no longer have Jesus. How would you feel about that? And, you know, I think for every genuine Christian, for anyone who has met Jesus, who has sensed the reality of his love for them, they would answer in the way that he answered. He said, that would be terrible. I'd have no hope. I'd have no comfort. 
I'd have no strength. I'd have no refuge. I'd have no, no, no North Star for my life. Right? And, and I think that's the most important question then to ask. Whom have I in heaven but you? And what is there on earth that I desire besides you? God, all of these other things that I'm chasing my pleasure in, they can't satisfy me. God, all the things that I'm mad that you're not giving me in my life because I think that I need them right now. God, you are the very best thing. If I have you, then I have that which my heart most longs for and needs. Anybody know that place in John chapter 6 where Jesus is, is preaching to a large crowd of people and the crowds start to leave? Because Jesus is not meeting their expectations for what they thought he would do for them. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, are you going to leave me too? And what does Simon Peter say? He says, to whom else can we go when you alone have the words of eternal life? Jesus, you're it. Jesus, you're my only hope. You're my only comfort. If I have you, I have everything that I need. Whom have I in heaven but you? When you ask yourself that most important question, you you may find yourself wanting to hold on to Jesus. And yet even as you want to hold on to Jesus, you just may find in that moment that it was actually Jesus who has been holding on to you. That's what this friend found that I was talking to the other day. That's what Asaph finds Verse 23, he says, God, you hold my right hand and afterward you will receive me into glory. You're holding my hand through everything that I experience in this life and then you will receive me into glory. And you know, Asaph knew that that was true because he knew the character and promises of God. Friends, we have all the more reason to know with confidence that is true because of the cross. You know, one of the things that Asaph talks about is the destiny of those who reject God. He says they will be destroyed. They will face eternal destruction. And friends, that's what Jesus endured on the cross for us. God let go of Jesus' hand on the cross. Jesus was abandoned. He was destroyed on the cross as he took all of our sin, all of our sloth, all of our apathy and indifference toward God. He took that on himself on the cross. And friends, because Jesus did that for us, because God let go of Jesus' hand, we know Jesus will never let go of our hand. No matter how indifferent, no matter how slothful we may be. So friends, believe that that's true. Ask that question, whom have I in heaven but you? Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we do admit and confess that often, in spite of all that you've done for us, we find that our hearts are cold and apathetic and far more excited about pursuing and chasing other things than we are about deepening our fellowship with you or living in the ways that you call us to live. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to take even that sin of sloth on yourself on the cross. And I pray that as we come to the Lord's table this morning, that as we are reminded, Jesus, of the depths of your love for us, that you would give your body for us, that you would shed your blood for us, I pray that that would awaken our hearts. 
out of our sloth, out of our indifference, that we would say, we want to live for you today, Jesus. Would you do that work in us by your spirit as we come to the table this morning? For it's in Jesus' name we pray.